you ready this time? Yep. Sure? Yep, positive. Hello and welcome. I'm Steve. And I'm ready. And I'm Go. And I'm Tone. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the, the magnetic machinist. Uh, so, everyone, you may have heard, we've got Tony Rallo with us. It's Tony Rallo! Woo! Hi! Uh, so, I think because you're such an awesome guest, we should uh, go to you first and say, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself for anybody that's stupid enough to not know who you are and uh, what have you been up to recently? Um, <clears throat> I'm a machinist by trade, toolmaker. Uh, is my hobby woodworking basically anything hopefully burgeoning blacksmith yeah. through, through brett um <clears throat> uh, right now i'm working on a batch of hand planes i make a small brass uh and wood infill block plane so i just pretty. got finished i just finished up making a, a brass ring for a, a prop for uh a awesome outfit out of atlanta georgia um Overworld Designs is there, uh, and it's for uh, a Quake, the video game Quake. It's this big oh, brass right. ring, and all I did was, when I finished it, I just held it and pretend I was Smeagol the whole time. So. <laughs> Amazing. So did yeah. you say that that was for uh, the? You said it was for Quake. Yeah, it's for the. It's it's for the video game Quake. It's. The Ring of Shadows, I think it's called. Ah, it's it's a power up, and yeah, they, uh, they want to wear it around their neck as on a chain. Awesome. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I I spent most of my youth playing either Quake or Unreal Tournament at LAN parties with friends, and this is back in the days where you had CRT monitors and you had to carry them to. Oh LAN. yeah, I I remember. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> I live out in the sticks, so land parties. You know, <laughs> that was about it. You'd, for that, or you'd bring the Xbox and you'd split yeah. them that way too. Exactly. I, I remember <laughs> getting a um, I had like a twenty-one inch CRT monitor that literally took the entire boot of my um, Voxel Astra, and uh, and I had to put the the actual tower unit on on, on like the back seats and um, seat by up because there wasn't enough room for the monitor and the uh, tower. So you filled your boots. I did fill my boot. Uh, <laughs> seeing as you're being so jovial, uh, what have you been up to, Brett? I've had too much coffee. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> oh, quiet. Uh, what have I been up to? I have. Uh, I put up the Cat Nine Tails video, which was neat, and destroyed a bunch of pumpkins. And Yay. that was a midweek post, which I'm not used to doing. And so with a couple of extra days and prepping for the blacksmithing week and that's coming six days from now and like three days from when the recording goes out. Uh, I got to prep more for the class. I've made a couple of more tools, like some punches um, out of that H13 stuff you love so much, Steve. Uh, and, and, kind of getting a little bit more of an idea of some projects that we could work on having Zach from ZH coming and Rory will be here again. And then there's, I heard Cliff might be showing up. Um, I know Jimmy went and got his swage block, his new toy swage block from Cliff. Um, so hopefully with Zach here, he's got 
uh, a lot of knowledge on the hydraulic press. And even though that's not really an intro class thing, I really hope they don't just start using the hydraulic press for everything. <laughs> it's going to be really upsetting. Um, but with Zach here, I'd like to try and work on a project or two with him if I can. I really want to make a set of tongs and he's made more than I have. So yeah. And we hung a bunch of insulation over the last few days in the barn. So nice. that's neat. And I'm covered in fiberglass and itchy. <laughs> itchy, yeah. itchy. That's so itchy. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, Al, seeing as you're drinking. Uh, I'm not. What have you been up to? Um, same as Brett, I managed to get a video out uh, midweek for the zombie challenge. Zombie. Um, Zombie. Um, I got the Son of the Dead video out. So uh, it, it was a race to the race to the finish line. It was like, uh, well, it's still technically the thirty first somewhere <laughs> on Earth, um, so, <laughs> so I can get it out just in time. Um, and that was really good. I'm really happy with that. Um, and then this weekend, I have just been visiting my friend for bonfire night every every year. He has like um, a little patch of forest. That his uh, his parents help kind of manage and coppice, um, and they just have a really nice like sort of family fireworks and bonfire every year. So I've just been camping in the forest, which is absolute bliss. Nice, yes. sounds lovely. Cool. Steve, what have you been up to? Uh, surprisingly enough, I've also put out a uh, a Dirty Smith Zombie Apocalypse <laughs> Challenge video. Um. And I, I actually think that mine went in after yours, Al. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I think both of us were... Well, I think you were actually still doing the project um, late into Wednesday night, mm. whereas I was just massively trying to get through the edit because I had <laughs> a ton of footage. Because somebody um, decided to shoot 15 hours of footage, including all of the full fly crew. <laughs> Yeah. And the Rory story, story Rory, story Rory. Yeah, you're yeah. not, but it came out really good. You and you and Al did fantastic work. Thank you. Yours was awful. Um, Rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, they were both of your guys were um, really good as well. Uh, but yeah, that that was an absolute um, mission trying to get that out. Uh, and other than that, I have. Well, what else have I done? I've been at work. work. Yeah. I've been at work for a few days. Um, oh, no, so that's it. Uh, I, the Thursday, I kind of had a bit of a, a rest day because it feels like it may have actually been the first day I did nothing in about three months. Um, Thursday is day. treat day. And Well, the thing is, is, it wasn't until Thursday evening I suddenly remembered that I hadn't put the, uh, the podcast out. Someone reminded <laughs> me. So that's why the podcast was a bit late last week. Sorry about that. Um, and yeah, and then Friday, I just uh, had some time in the shop to just kind of go down, tidy up a little bit, and start getting things ready for uh, the next project. But um, yeah, that was it. Um, the next project is actually going to be um, playing around with some new stuff. It's nothing too interesting. I don't want to talk too much about it yet because it's kind of a surprise. Um, I need to speak to Al about it at some point because I think he might have some interesting input into it. Um, but that kind of segues us nicely into our topic for the week, which is um, about trying new things and doing new things and kind of going into stuff that you don't necessarily <coughs> know a lot about. Um, and 
to be completely honest and blunt, the reason we're doing that topic is because we've got Tony on and machining is something that I'm really interested in. So I uh, I kind of wanted to pick his brains about <laughs> that. <laughs> Super interested in, absolutely zero understanding of it. All of the machines confuse me and I don't understand thousands of anything. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like, so if, we, if we're going to talk um, directly about um, machining for the first part, from your point of view, Tony, what's the anybody that wants to get into the machine into machining? What's the first kind of thing that they should be looking at? I mean, obviously the the equipment is there's a there's a high bar to entry, so you're not just going to be popping down to your local big box store and just buying a a Bridgeport or a CNC or a lathe or anything just for a bit of fun. But if if someone seriously wants to to start getting into that sort of thing, what what would you think would be a good starting point? Like just an area to study or the the first machine you should get or whatever. It's going to be a lot of textbook boringness, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it is. It's a lot of it is, yeah. but uh, uh, speeds and feeds. How fast to turn the cutter or how fast to turn the material if it's a lathe? Because that will, if you do not, if you do not understand that. It, you you can have an, a horrible experience machining. Things yeah. will break. Things will become dull instantly, or work pieces will work hard. And you know that the main thing is is there's there's I mean with you know modern internet you, you can look up and find speeds and feeds for anything. And yeah. it's more the the RPMs of the cutters, or like I said, if you're with a lathe, you're turning the workpiece instead of the cutter. But it's just learn learning that. And once you start from there, uh, you can, you know, you'll get confidence on how much of a cut you can take and things like that. Um, the the easiest thing to tell somebody is, especially if you're cutting like steel or stainless steel, if the chip's turning blue, you're going too fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when and then and then you can I mean you get into carbide and all that and then it just turns into it doesn't matter what color the chip is you know but <laughs> but just people starting out if the chip is blue it, you're you're going too fast yeah because that's the uh, like the temper colors coming through so you're getting yes exactly higher temperature well see because that's that on its own is quite interesting because over the last even literally the last six weeks I've learned a bit more about machining from um different youtube videos and things like that and and you saying that about the carbide stuff is something that i genuinely only very recently learned um the fact that you can go a lot um faster and hotter with a carbide tool um so yeah i think it, it's quite kind of interesting looking at uh at, at just that because i didn't even realize that there was in my head it would have been the um the material as much as like heat overheating the material as much as um overheating the tool would have been an issue but it sounds like that's not kind of really a well there, there in and like i said this is all can become very boring and <laughs> best, but you generally want you if if the cutter is doing what it's supposed to do the heat leaves with the chip you're going to have some heat build up somewhere but yeah. you want it to leave with the chip and the the workpiece stays cool um and that can be anything if you're drilling a hole on a drill press or even with a pistol drill 
Yeah. That's that principle still applies. And, and, and that's the, the, once you learn that, then you can get cutters to last, you know, more than minutes or hours mm-hmm. or weeks or months, as long as you know how fast. And that's the most, that's the, I think the number one hardest yeah. thing. And once you learn, it's a formula that you learn in your head and you can calculate, you know, but, uh, and then the next one would be rigidity. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I love the man, but 90% of the stuff Jimmy does, I want to strangle him. <laughs> but he, he I wasn't even going to bring it up, but he has know, like this blue this, steel come off of everything. <laughs> he has this guardian angel that sits on his shoulder and says, eh, don't worry about that. It'll be fine. And it's Jimmy. But like people that have their cutters hanging out way past what they're supposed to, you want everything as rigid as possible. And that all leads to, to cutter wear and everything. Yeah. Speed and rigidity. That's all machining is really. Yeah. Where do you even, where do you even start though? Like, I, I, sorry to take over for this, Steve, but I'm so confused. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of equipment available to me and, and Jim's tried to show me some things on like the lathe, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, I like blacksmithing so much. I haven't really had much of a draw towards learning any of the other machines, but I'm intimidated is the right word by lathes and smaller work like that, because I don't know anything about how the parts and the gearings and the speeds and feeds. I I've heard that term a ton of times, but like if I wanted to just get started, I basically have a machine that's probably 10 steps ahead of where I should be starting in terms of turning or machining or whatever the hell I'm doing. Like, where do I even, from your perspective, imagine that I'm not, at Jimmy's place and you know what equipment he has, but like, where the hell do I even start? Uh, just grab a piece of stock and <laughs> start turning. It's, it's hard to, I mean, it, it is, it, it's, it's the same as, you know, blacksmithing. And when, when I was with you three at, at that night at Jimmy's, there was, you know, I could have just grabbed something and started whacking away and there was these little nuances that you pointed out, like the 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 fish tail or the fish mouth to to keep or the the yeah. the chamfer you put on the metal to keep it from fish mouthing at the end, and all those little things I wouldn't have yeah known. But I mean, it's kind of an easy way out. But a lot of a lot of uh, cities and towns have vocational schools, and a lot of those schools have evening classes. I know for a fact, uh, the one by me, they have an eight-week course. I think it's like one night a week for four hours, and they just teach you the basics. And that's the thing is, is especially a lathe, a milling machine isn't, it looks as intimidating, but a lathe with all the gearing and everything has so much more going on. Mm. Cause those gears are tied into how fast the carriages move and relation yeah. to the speed and uh, you know, the YouTubes yeah. there's always, <laughs> you know, YouTube. just, you know, this old Tony and all that, which, you know, yeah. it's, there's, there's a lot of info just to get your feet wet. Yeah. But, cause, cause it, it's, it's funny you say that about um, the, the speeds and the gearing, especially like with the lathe, like one of uh, the things I remember him pointing out in a 
video a little while back was the fact that when you're when you're turning something and you and you're working on the actual the end of a bit of stock, the the speed on the outside is going to be different to the speed on the inside. Yeah. Because, Absolutely, yeah. And and it's things like that, and you're like, oh shit, yeah. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. But but I think what what you were saying uh, earlier about um, like even on a on a uh, pistol drill, the fact that um, you know it, it, if you're seeing blue chips and things like that, then it's you you you're working it too hot and you're gonna you're gonna ruin your um your drill bit and like i think it it wasn't until you pointed that out it was like oh shit yeah no i i do kind of already know that because obviously i you know i know if i'm drilling through something if i'm if i'm getting blue chips then then that's bad and, and things like that and i think it's a lot of um from my point of view a lot of the machining stuff looks intimidating because you kind of think of it as a whole other um world as it were but i guess there's a lot of stuff that you you kind of you know from um just from working with metal that's that's applicable to to the machining world as well like like things like you know if it's turning blue that means it's getting too hot and so on and so forth. So and then somehow you burn out 15 drill bits and then tell the guy standing <laughs> next to you that they must be old. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I know from experience <laughs> or anything. Don't mind me. They're stale. They've gone yeah. stale. <laughs> uh, they just get soft. Who left these out? The men keep these covered. <laughs> <laughs> it seriously happened just the other day. And like, Tony, I think one of the biggest... Uh, hurdles that i have is the understanding that i know that i know those machines are the tool but i'm as as somebody who works on a lot more like hand tool oriented projects even with stuff like blacksmithing i'm holding the tool aka the hammer and i have the material either in my other hand or in a pair of tongs and that's a very visceral experience for me because I, I can feel both ends of everything. When it comes to those machines, the part that scares the crap and intimidates me is that I have a little dial or a couple little knobs and dials on the front and everything else is doing the work. So I'm not touching the cutter and I'm also not touching the material. And in, that... in, in, in a way, but you will have that feedback in your hand. when If you're turning the dials, you, you, it just becomes use extra senses you know you 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 listen you see you'll you'll know if you'll hear if the cutter's not happy um you'll see if the cutter's not happy and like i said you'll have that feedback because that's one of the things i get a little crotchety about is uh new machinist and the college curriculum is very cnc oriented yeah. which is fine because that's 99 percent of my day is cnc mm -hmm. but if you don't we have a young guy at the shop and his machines will make noises that sound like the hounds of hell. And he'll just stand there on his phone, Snapchatting his girlfriend or whatever, totally oblivious that like a $500 cutter is like on the verge of just melting into nothingness. <laughs> and that's with that. We call it manual machining with the, the bridge port and the lathe. You, you know that those sounds are good sounds or bad sounds or that feedback. Yeah. Because especially with like smaller cutters in a CNC, you have no, you don't know, you have no idea what that cutter is doing because generally it's covered in gallons of coolant per minute. Yeah. 
So you need to know how fast to push that cutter. And you can look up charts, but that physical experience is head and shoulders. You're ahead of the game. It's like you say, Steve, you know, you're using even just drilling through metal on like a drill press, you know, you can feel it. Yeah. You can, you can hear it. You can see it. Like you say, you can look at the color and smell it. Even, yeah. you know, you can smell when it's getting yeah. too hot. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have like, have had a go on a, a machine lathe. Um, I know we've, we've talked about this before, but you know, go down to your local maker space if they have one and we'll talk about sort of an entry into machining. There might be one on your doorstep that you can actually go and use. Um, obviously it's not something you can just go and pick up. Like Steve says, um, but I went down and, and, you know, guys were just happy enough to, to show me how to use it. And exactly as you say, Tony, it was, it was, it was super intimidating for me. Um, you know, I think a lathe you're kind of a little bit more comfortable with versus a mill because you're kind of familiar with it. You kind of recognize oh, it's a bit like a wood lathe. You know, I kind of, I kind of recognize it, but the second it's like mounted vertically and it's spinning at you, you're like, no, this is, <laughs> this is too much. This is too scary. And Bridgeport scared the shit out of me. Um, yeah but it, but it really was it i i was going in with this mentality that it was it was machining and it was all precise and it was all you know you've got to be super scientific about it all but it was really it was the, the guy talk, talk, um telling me about it it was really instinctive you know you could feel when you're pushing it too far you could feel when you're taking just the right amount you know just the right sort of uh, thickness chip off and things like that and it was really it really helped to kind of bring this world into a bit more of an organic thing like I know you're working with metal, it doesn't feel like this this kind of living organic thing like maybe wood or leather might. Um, but it really did. It felt like a, a similar sort of um, natural material all of a sudden because um, you're really getting hands on with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's a really good point because I was, I was going to say about like the fact that you guys were saying, you, you know, you can, you can feel it, you can hear it. Um, the drill press is a perfect example for, for the blacksmiths out there like you, you wouldn't believe the amount of feedback you can get th- through a, a hammer strike and you, mm-hmm. you know you think most people they're not gonna they're not gonna think of of hitting something with a hammer too cold get it back yeah. in <laughs> exactly <laughs> too cold and, and i mean you, you guys have experienced it before like alex he can be the other side of the shop he can be outside and he can hear that the metal's gone too cold and he'll shout back into the workshop and say no it's too cold yeah. <laughs> so, the, the the crazy thing that has started happening, and Steve, you know this because you've been extremely helpful in my blacksmithery uh, comeuppance, but I, I'm getting a lot better, and, and I have the way that I learn new techniques or, or new materials or new machines is like Tony was saying, so maybe that's just something I need the exposure of, but I learn so much better by learning all of the sensory uh, input versus just, you know, when somebody told me how to do leather working, it doesn't make a lot of sound, but you, you can hear it. If, if you do it enough, you can hear when you've cut through the entire bit of leather. There's like one very specific sound that it makes when you actually do a cut that goes all the way through. So you don't end up with all those little stair steps on the outside when you have to like yeah. run the blade over and over. And the same thing with blacksmithing it's you know i know when a piece of metal is too cold because i can see it but i can also in the classes you know when we were all over here i gotta set myself up again to have other people and less of you guys here to help but there's going to be a lot of times where i know what every anvil sounds like now Mm. when it's being struck with hot Ah! metal it sounds like it sounds like a (laughs) breakfast yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
but like Tony, what what kills me about the stuff that, and and the work that you do? If nobody's seen it, like, please go look up what <laughs> yeah. Tony does. Stop because to this and go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, pause, pause episode. <laughs> go look. But some of the work that you do is so fine detail and everything's so crisp and it's one thing for me to attach myself to the idea that I can learn the sensory uh, aspects of it and be able to like feel the dial and see how much of a bite I'm taking out of the metal and everything like that. But I want to shift a little bit more into like the, the next step, right? So the first step is that go take classes, like go get the visceral experience of it, go touch the machines, understand what everything sounds like, but also how the, fuck do you do what you do <laughs> because <laughs> it's one thing for me to go i can turn something sideways and make it a taper or put some lines in it or put some designs in it but it's another thing entirely for you to make something like your hand planes which are not only highly sought after by people nowadays but design sensibility tens of thousands of microscopic measurements and stuff when you're doing your dovetailing like how does that feed into it? Where does the creativity come? Because from my perspective, something like machining, there are guys that can do machining and then there are guys that make beautiful pieces on those types of machines. Where where do you think your step came from to be able to take what, at least from my perspective, I see is like somebody who makes parts or dials or knobs or screws into making something <coughs> like hand planes on a milling machine? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, there's... There's guys that are head and shoulders better machinists than I am, and they make widget A, B, C, and D. I don't believe you. <laughs> and and they go home and they have a beer and they don't think about it. But ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to make stuff. Whether it was cutting out sheet metal, throwing stars, and wearing sweatsuit in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of summer, you know, this little fat kid running around with a ski mask on, pretending he was a ninja. I really want to see stars. pictures of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there is any, thank God. Or else Mackenzie would probably let you know. But uh <laughs> but I've always I've always I've always wanted to make. I've always wanted to make and what it was is is uh I was able to accrue equipment over time in metalworking because a lot of machine shops just you work and you don't touch the machines. You you do you make money for them, and it's understandable. Like one machine I work on is worth about one hundred and fifty thousand, and the other one is close to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh my! So if you wreck them, that's yeah. a chunk of change to have them fixed, which it happens. I've I've crashed my share of machines, but uh, the the uh the what got me into tool making is the owner of the company I work for now. He would let us use the CNCs after work, and to have this tool at your disposal, it was huge, and it just fueled my it just fueled my interest. I'd always you know made stuff, and it was primarily woodworking, and I always liked the idea of blacksmithing. I just never had access to the uh, to the tools. But uh, machining, I've been a machinist for 20 years. So it's one of those things where if you've done something, if you do something long enough, you're going to be okay at it, you know. And I'm, I'm okay at my job. And they keep me on and God, they pay me every week. So He's just so <laughs> modest. <laughs> He's just so modest. But 
but it's it it's that it's you have to want to make something because that's yeah. what I found is is you want to become proficient at something. I'm not the type of person just to chuck something in the lathe and take five thousandths of a whack off all the time. I know I want what well, that sounded awful, by the way. Uh, <laughs> hey, but what are you putting I, in the lathe? Let's <laughs> say I want to make a punch. So you take a piece of steel and you knurl the outside for a grip, and then you either turn a taper on it or whatever, and you know that's something that's that's a foothold you know that's a foot in the door and that's what it is it's it's wanting to make something yeah and that's those tools are just an extension of what i've wanted to make yeah so because it's funny you say that because my next question for you is actually going to be when um you, you said that obviously you know you you built up a, a collection of tools over time what was the first um like proper machining tool that you had that you bought for yourself and had at home and what was the first thing you made on it because i want to know if, it, I, if it's as daft as when i like when i first got the forge and the first thing i made was just a pointed bit of metal because <laughs> I, I got something hot and wanted to hit it and that was it. long and pointies yeah <laughs> um i i bought I bought a small. He made a steam uh, engine. He, he, <laughs> yeah. he bought. He bought. A, he bought a lathe, and he made a fully functioning steam engine. <laughs> uh, no, I, I bought a. Uh, it was called a mill. They're called a mill drill. It's like a a tiny milling machine. They're, you know, they're about a, f a fourth of the size of a Bridgeport. But uh, trying to think what I made first, because I was a machinist at the time, so it was something that it was probably just a part for something that was broken and that's one yeah. of the things that uh that's neat about being a machinist is is i i bought a wood lathe off of friend and it had this weird metric thread i'd never seen before and i'm i use metric and imperial every day and i was able to take the spindle out of the lathe the wood lathe bring it to my metal lathe turn that down and turn uh the thread that all my chucks are on it yeah Nice. And it's so it was probably just a a part for something, whether it was oh, a bracket man. or so. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy made some uh, dials, knobs, whatever. Knobs sounds funny because we're on an English podcast. Knobs, um, <laughs> knobs. But uh, he and Eric did the old Delta Milwaukee bandsaw, and it was missing two of the four knobs that were on it or whatever. And he machined some really. Yeah really quickly out of brass and they look fantastic mm -hmm. but honestly he could have gotten away with just tapping a hole in a bit of steel and it would have been the exact same thing right it would have served mm -hmm. the purpose sure but it's that jimmy of course has the design sensibility because he's a creative type that he wanted them to look a certain way so i i look at the stuff that you do and i know that's that's like a mile away because i haven't even really turned on a machine myself but I, I like the idea that making tools, you know, you've talked about making punches. I'm still hoping to commission a, a touch mark out of you at some point. But uh, you're behind me in the, in the queue. <laughs> Fuck off, Steve. <laughs> I sent a message like six months ago. <laughs> I didn't. It was, <laughs> like, it was like nine months ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there, there are moments like that where, you know, there's only certain... There, there is a, 
a level that I can get to, you know, with smithing where I can make certain types of tools and I can make certain types of geometry. But then like at the end of the day, I can't blacksmith a touch mark for myself. That's not a possibility. I can't put a stamp or a die at the end of a piece of steel unless I just wanted to make it like an X <laughs> or something, you know, with chisels on a hot piece of steel. But I I know there's an opportunity there, but like Steve said early on in the podcast, like do you do you see the entry level as being too not too steep, but steeper than maybe like your standard woodworking tools, obviously like a, a handsaw is a little cheaper than a bridge port, but I like, uh, you know, disarm, disarm me a little bit. Is it, well, is it that big of a step to, to go into something like machining? I mean, there's, there's guys that can make stuff perfectly, perfectly square and flat with a file. I mean, if you really want to nitpick, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can take a file and, and a hacksaw and do some pretty, if you have the patience and the will, you can do a lot of amazing stuff. Um, you have to keep your eyes and ears open and you can, you can get a used lathe. You, I think lathes are a little easier to come by than milling machines. The other thing you have is the logistics involved in getting them from the place that you're buying in. And yeah, you might be able to, to get them cheaply, but not just not yet. Yes, that's yeah. the thing. An average Bridgeport weighs twenty five hundred pounds. So, <laughs> or you you can get a bench top lathe, and you can do a lot of neat stuff. And that's the thing with the mill drill. When I got it, it was I think I think the thing weighed like six hundred pounds. So you just a regular you know an engine uh, hydraulic engine hoist. You can pick it up, move yeah. it wherever you need to. You know, we don't need like ridiculously reinforced floors <laughs> or anything, but it depends. It, it's all on how eager you are to learn. If, if you really want to do it, you'll find a way, you know? And like I said, it could just be a, a hacksaw on a file. Yeah. Oh man, I think I, I think I have to do that at some point. <laughs> like <laughs> just out of, just out of solidarity with you is be like, Tony, I'm going to try to machine something without a machine. I've, I was going to say, because when you said that about uh, the touch stamp, I um, I have seen it done. And, and I only know this because I, I remember when I said about getting my touch stamp done, um, I had a, another blacksmith basically say, why don't you just make your own? Because I can't. And I've seen it done with a bit of uh, tool steel um, that was just a, a, a round bit of tool steel. And they carved out the end with like little tiny files and... Um, a couple of uh, Dremel um, bits to get some more definition in it and doing the entire touch stamp like that. And it took them forever and they must've been so careful doing it, but it was massively impressive to see. Um, Cause I mean, I, I think the other thing is, is what, what a lot of people and uh, Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people seem to um, look at machining as um, this, one thing and you know if you're a machinist then that means you can do everything whereas for for me personally i don't have um much desire to go into the cnc side of it i'm far more attracted to the, the manual machining um particularly um lathes um and doing like because I, I really want to get a, a metal lathe and do some work on on that and maybe at some point get a mill to do some some other things and i think there's 
much like there's a difference between being a you know a a first fixed carpenter and a you know a, a fine woodworker or a cabinet maker i think there's there's different kind of specialities or it seems as different specialities within um the machining world as well and it's kind of like you can you you can do all of them but you don't just because you do one doesn't necessarily mean you have to do um, yeah oh, oh yeah you know there's there's jack of all trades and there's guys that just are extremely proficient in a certain type of lathe and that's all they've done their whole careers and and that works and they're amazing at what they do it's all it's all i guess it's it's more in what you encounter on the job and uh i was lucky enough i started on manual machines yeah and then the the company that i worked for at the time they brought me over to the cncs and taught me how to use that so i've had the best of both worlds i feel because there's time you know it's it's usually maybe one or two days a month i'll run a manual machine because it's just too time consuming to, to to program and set up the cnc to do something and yeah. and it's nice to keep the this my skills up but with the home stuff now it's i'm machining pretty much every night so yeah yeah because i guess like the the bar to entry for manual machining is going to be far lower than oh the, absolutely big stuff yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like the kind of middle ground as well. You know, the 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 automated processes on a manual machine lathe. You know, the, the, it's kind of like primitive CNC. There are things where you can just set it running, and it will, yeah. you know, do do your cut rate at a certain speed or set mm -hmm. something spinning in the right. You know, so there is that little in between yeah. already, even with 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 kind of you know a hundred year old machines. Yeah, like watching yeah. them cut threads is yeah the that best. blows my mind. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> That's that's probably the most oddly satisfying thing that I get out of machining yeah. other than just beautiful symmetry is just yeah. watch somebody that knows how to cut threads cut threads on like a south bend. It's just yeah. it's just a beautiful thing. Or, or make a spring. Like, oh I just yeah. made my own yeah. springs. Like yep. what? Yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> <You> wizard. <laughs> You're a wizard, Harry. You're a wizard, Tony. <laughs> but uh well but yeah, I, no, I, I like the idea i like the idea that you're making me feel a little bit more comfortable that you know I've, I've probably been overthinking the idea of a lathe i know jim's got the small one in the back of the shop and it doesn't seem as intimidating just because of its size but he has a habit of collecting like 10 foot long ones that just <laughs> sit in the corner like the one that's in the <laughs> corner of the shop right now and it weighs three thousand pounds and it terrifies me luckily it's not running so i don't have to hear it yeah. But it it seems like, as as Steve said, the the bar for entry could be a lot less than how I've perceived it to be. I don't know. I with a six hundred pound machine, like talk talk money with me for a second. Like <laughs> what what do you get like a smaller bench top, you know, turning situation set up for? <clears throat> um. Uh, they're anywhere from 500 bucks to 3,000, 4,000, depending on what you want to put into it, you know, and, and that's technically classified as a bench top lathe and that could be yeah. various sizes. Um, you can find, I'm pretty sure you can find those small South bends like Jimmy has, they're usually under a thousand bucks, you know, yeah. and some of them are going to be beat. 
you know, some won't hold tolerances, but unless you're trying to produce precision bores or, you know, turn a bearing fit for a shaft, you know, if you're just tinkering and messing around, you can uh, figure out ways to get around that. You know, obviously there's going to be some boat anchors, which would fit with your motif breath, you know, but, <laughs> All right. but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, I you still know. have to make an anchor at some point. <laughs> and then you can show me how much different it is in making an anchor on a, on a lathe if I <laughs> sniff one. But, uh, the, the milling machine is a lot more, the, the jumping point. I mean, there's cheaper import machines, but still you're right around, I think two grand to start right. where you can get, you can get like a grizzly mill drill for, I think around 1200 bucks, which isn't when you consider like, like a really nice bandsaw or a planer or a joiner for woodworking, that's roughly around what they cost, you know. But again, there's the used market. There's everybody. There's some guy that thinks he wants to make 500 of these widgets in his garage, <laughs> and he makes 20 of them, and no one buys them, and then it just sits and dust collects. Or you, you know, you get an estate sale or something. You, you have the greatest person with you, Brett. Anyway. <laughs> Cause don't say I was, that. don't say that. He doesn't listen to the show. You don't. Have to talk well, but, but but uh, like he'll walk into an antique store and there'll be this dusty old Bridgeport for five dollars, and then I'll walk <laughs> yeah. in and five dollars streets in New York. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, I'll see the Bridgeport and they'll be like, "Yeah, that's twenty five grand." And I'll, oh, okay. Yeah. Will yeah. you take thirty? You know. Hey, there's wow. definitely a knowledge base. Not to not to go into the rabbit hole that is picking and flea markets and antique stores and stuff but um i don't know what you know if boot boot sales are like what you guys have in terms of like we have over here where there will be a guy that shows up to like an outdoor flea market with a mill or a lathe randomly in the back of his truck and you're like how the hell did you get that thing here like, uh, sits in the truck or just kind of leave it there in case somebody wants it Tarp and it. jim jim does have a really insane a lucky streak or I guess, I don't know. He just exudes this, like he'll take an old machine and people just, you know, they just want to see it run or they, they want it to get used by somebody. So I don't know if I really want to go and try and find my own, I should probably learn on something first, but I guess yep. you at least made me feel better that the price isn't quite as crazy as i thought it was i i honestly could have sworn it would have been like at least a thousand dollars to get started if, if you you can find use lays for under a thousand i'm pretty yeah. you just have to look and use the community too you know is that's one of the the greatest points is is you know you may have to drive 10 or 12 hours but you may find something someone knows somebody that's getting rid of something you know yeah. especially with with the the amazing community that we all are embroiled in you know yeah no i think that's um that's a really good shout because there there are so many people that that like you say it, it's it's just about putting yourself out there and i think again that's kind of how jimmy ends up being the guy that everybody phones up when they've got an old tool is because they know he's going to take it so if you kind of put the feelers out there and say guys i'm i'm after this thing if anybody can help me out, that'd be great. And it, it's that that whole thing of not being too fussy and not saying no and and saying, all right, so you've got you've got a lathe, but it's it's missing 
the tail stock or whatever, then uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm only going to give you X amount for it. And then, yeah, maybe two, three days later, someone else turns around and says, <laughs> oh, I've got this other layer. Everything else on it's broke, but the tail stock's great. And, you know, you <laughs> cobble the two together. Like, yeah. And then, and then there's also, there's, there's huge little sub communities that are based around some of these equipment. There's a British lathe that I'm not very familiar with, but it's called a Myford or Myford. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And that has a huge cult following with it. And so if you can get into to communities with them, you know, if you're missing a tailstock, there might be some old guy that has 15 of them, you know, yeah. still with Cosmoline on them that he'll sell you one, you know, and <laughs> the same with the South Bends. There's that old iron along with the woodworking stuff has this, this pull to it. And yeah. there's communities based around that. And I think you, you tend to find with a lot of those communities when it's when it is an old tool like that that's perhaps seen as less attractive by the modern crowd, um, a lot of people will will do you a good deal just to see another machine running again. Sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's a really good shout. Um, I think looking at the time, it might be uh, a good idea to go to. Uh, so Al has decided that Tony's going first this week. So Tony, who do you want to spiff? Um, Heidi and Bennett slap stuff together. Yeah! They made they me an amazing, so amazing uh, Hillview wooden metal my logo uh, yeah. coffee mug. So I am. Um... They do turning as well. They do, yeah. <laughs> it's clay is just soft steel. Yeah, it's a vertical <laughs> lathe. That's what it's called. <laughs> there you go, clay. <laughs> little, little machinist nerd talk for you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw the uh, the the live stream that they did when um, when they were taking all the stuff out of the glaze, uh, out of the kiln um, after it had been glazed, and that thing came out so pretty, <laughs> yeah. and it made me want to buy all of the other mugs. It's still and, it's still one of my favorite things just to see, you know, when Heidi puts everything in at night and she's like, all right, the kiln runs overnight. And then you're just like, I'm going to get on Instagram in the morning. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. And they're just such lovely people as well. They are. They mm-hmm. are. Amazing. The uh, what was it? Tabs. Uh, Al. Al, you're, you're next. That's me. Al, you're Brett. Al, you're, <laughs> you're Brett. Yeah. Yes, I would Woo-hoo! like to. Woo-hoo! I would like to uh, spiff somebody who um, does machining all the time. He's always using his uh, lathe, uh, and that's Honor from <laughs> Dies in Every Films. <laughs> um, yeah, no, joking aside, um, Honor's fantastic, and you know, talking about um, wanting to learn new things and, and things we've never tried before. There was a really nice video of him and Steve Maker. Um, yes. Steve went over to Honor's and and. Had a go at hitting some metal, and you could tell he obviously loved it. Um, Honor's been helping him, I think, with uh, with some of his knife making. It's just really nice seeing Honor having loads more fun in his videos, uh, taking the piss a lot more, uh, <laughs> utter disregard for sort of old vintage uh, war things, and just <laughs> basically ruining everything that he touches. And um, his reinvention of the word "impossible" as well, uh, yeah. which I find super <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I love, I love that we're gonna have to change the the dictionary, the actual <laughs> definition of the word impossible, <laughs> to a bit rusty. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, Y'all get in rust remover and then banging on an anvil. <laughs> Impossible! <laughs> and oh. not creepy at all in terms of his like subliminal uh, <laughs> self-plugs. Yeah, we know he's spiffing and you love you. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Also, he's his kid good. is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Rika. Yeah. Rika. Rika. I, I keep telling him I don't think his name's Rico. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's not no. Um, but yeah, because he's also he's just got a three D printer as well. Yes. And um, I'm just waiting for the I, I... baby shark. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't believe he hasn't printed out a three D printed penis yet because that seems like the first thing that he would do. <laughs> but uh... all right, show's over. Uh, Brett, you're next. I am spiffing uh, Kevin Lazat. I don't... I'm pretty sure he doesn't have his YouTube channel started. We, we're, like, pushing him to do videos, but he's a young man, and he's extremely talented on mills, lathes, the whole machining process. He's on Instagram. It's Lazat L-I-Z-O-T-T-E. Nice young chap, does amazing work, and he's pretty much the reason most of Jimmy's machining tools work correctly. <laughs> that, and I think just like a constant input from uh, Tony when he actually shows up to be like, hey, don't do that thing. What's that noise? <laughs> Jimmy, why does it sound like that? It's too yeah. cold. So Kevin's, Kevin's doing a good job keeping the shop running up here when Tony's not available. Cool. Also, Tony's amazing. Please go watch everything that Tony does. And yes. he better. made me a, an amazing square. And I'm so happy. <laughs> made my day. And I wasn't awkward about it at all when you brought it. It was a very <laughs> yeah. normal interaction between humans. <laughs> what I love, though, is the fact that every single person I've seen that, that's got one of like the hand planes or the, um, the squares or anything that that uh, Tony's made. Every single person has acted like a kid at Christmas. It's been... I didn't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's so cute. What do you <laughs> do? Um, uh, yeah, it's me. Um, I have already spiffed Phil from Phil Makes Things, so I'm not going to spiff him. Um, but he is wonderful, and everyone should go check him out and get him above a thousand subscribers. You can't not spiff someone <laughs> and then spiff him. I didn't. That, how was that spiffing? I just said check business. Shut. Is that a backhanded spiff? Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, uh, there you go, Tony. We're gonna have to have uh, judges call on this one. <laughs> judges. Um, but yeah, uh, I I managed to catch up with him today um, at work, and we went around uh, the M shed in Bristol, and they had the the steam train running out the front, and the the like two hundred year old steam crane. Um, there as well and uh and because we were talking about that and we were looking into some uh old stuff i was i've been watching a lot of the british pathy pathy i don't actually know how you pronounce it path with a e with a funny thing pathé. on the end yeah or pathy pathy like are like you just spiffing steam engines uh no it's uh Chicken. british british path is um it's a it's like a, a news information documentary company um that they uh, they used to produce a lot of films um you know the the kind of the 
tongue-in-cheek, um, very British BBC accent films that you uh, you see a lot of parodies of. Well, all those parodies are of the British Path films, and they've got their entire archive um, has been or is being digitised, um, and most of it's up on the website, and you can watch it all for free. Um, they're also on YouTube, and there's just some really cool, interesting uh, videos about stuff that you probably won't ever see again because it's uh, so a lot of old tools and things like that and machines and steam engines and cool stuff um yeah so go check them out is there you look so weird <laughs> uh is there any other business from anyone else it's Go a ahead. square jaw you scott <laughs> hey. Hey. For, for those that can't see brett is just everyone well <laughs> i'm not just stroking himself with a square. <laughs> All right, easy. Hold on. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, either of any of you got any A or B before I do mine? Uh, Can't remember. No, <laughs> I don't remember. All right, I'll, I'll do mine. Oh, check out the to... check out the Fools of Tools Room. Ellen and James did that's, a, yeah, that's a thing. That was one of the two that I was going to talk oh, about, and I was going to do it properly, and not just go. Right. Oh, the right. stuff. <sighs> <sighs> go on then, properly. Do it properly, Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Brett looks so upset now. <laughs> when does he not look upset? Yeah, but the, the, it's the fact that he's gone down on his chair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, uh, if you didn't get that from Brett's brilliant description, uh, the Fools with Tools room uh, on Facebook, we now have a secret Santa, otherwise known as the Fools with Tools treasure trade, um, that uh, James from Mortal Make came up with, and uh, Ellen from Crafts with Ellen has done a load of work on and is taking over all the admin side of it and it's wonderful and awesome so if you're already in the group then uh, the post is, should be pinned to the top so go check that out if you're not in the group then you suck um and uh and finally, you're in the group and you're listening to this what are you doing here yeah <laughs> Uh, and finally, uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to the guys at the Makers International podcast. Um, Rich, Chris, Jamie, you guys are awesome. Really, really appreciate everything you do. We love the three of you. Um, yeah, you, you're just the perfect trio. That's that's all I have to say on it. Um, so I think, unless there's anything else, we can go into where we can find everyone. No, that cool. Uh, right. In which case, you can find the three of us at, uh, you can find me at Moonshine Matterworks on all the social medias. You can find Brett at Skull Spade 13. And you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. Al's Hack Shack! There we go. Uh, you can find Tony at Hillview Wooden Metal on Instagram. I don't know if you, are you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, but I never check it. Who yeah, uses same Twitter? As <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, on Instagram, um, <laughs> Go check him out. Go look at all of his amazing things that he's produced and be jealous. Uh, and yeah, you've got an Etsy Good luck getting well. a hand plane. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you want to buy buy any of it, you can wait in the queue like the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> but there is an Etsy store as well. And I'll put all that in the shows. And I will actually do the shows at some point this year. And he does have um, a YouTube channel that he's going to make more videos on soon. Yeah. yeah. Yes, please. And thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, cool. And if you want to find us as a group, then you can find us at www.fwtpodcast.com or Instagram at fwtpodcast. And obviously, we're on Facebook in the group with the things and the stuff. Uh, that's it, isn't it? Ta-da! Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Bye.